Section 23 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. East Coast Notes. Chapter 1. Some Bird Notes. Part 5. Penciled in a Book. One of my chief delights in looking over the contents of an old bookstore is to turn over the fly-leaves and to conjure up all sorts of romances from the strange names and stranger remarks often found pencilled in some ancient volume old natural history books have a peculiar fascination for me for i have more than once read interesting comments written in pencil on the margins by an interested reader long laid under the grass but whose deductions and observations remain fresh and entertaining i will refer to one book only an old edition of white selborne which i purchased for a few pence among other notes were the following swallows and young it must be borne in mind that the first brood of martins and swallows are led out or driven forth from their nests by the old ones to make room for the second and that the second however early hatched use the nest going in and out and resting at nights until the time of migration signed j b c red-backed shrike the red-backed shrike is very common in suffolk much more so than in norfolk i do not believe that it feeds upon small birds but beetles and insects the great ash-coloured shrike is the only one of the species capable of destroying small birds when a youth in eighteen twenty six i shot a very fine ash-coloured shrike upon the great briars thorn farm at swaffham signed j b c goat sucker i was once crossing mr last's marshes at oldborough after having been flight shooting and passing some older trees a goat sucker flew from me and quite close round my head and whilst upon the wing he made his awful jar by which i was no little startled signed j b c grey hares some years since a white hare was shot near norwich i saw it afterwards preserved in the collection of the late reverend charles penrice of plumstead hall in eighteen forty nine i saw two grey leverets about a quarter grown this was at wesselton suffolk where they informed me grey hares were frequently seen signed j b c snow bunting i have often seen the snow bunting at alborough but only when the weather has been intensely cold signed j b c smaller bustard in eighteen thirty three one of the smaller bustards was shot near norwich and the person who shot it sold it for a shilling not knowing what it was signed j b c 
white thrush i once saw a thrush perfectly white this was at mr arms ham norwich who gave a very long price for it but it sold in london for a much larger sum namely eleven pounds signed j b c there were a number of items of less interest which i did not think worth while copying gulls and insects the black-headed gull is to my mind the most fastidious eater of all the laridae marine worms crustacea and little fishes stranded in lows he prefers perhaps to anything while floating bread and fragments on the tide are gleaned in times of scarcity but the vile carrion that delights his larger relatives he does not gratefully fall back on but insects he always delights to patronize with his attentions and many of the tipula staphylina and diptery which are blown into braden are scrupulously gathered moths that essay a trip across in the summer evenings are not despised while bluebottles which have discovered a carcass by its scent are coveted tidbits when commenting on this insectivorous proclivity of larus ridibundus in the county paper the following note in reply to my remarks was inserted sir in connection with this correspondence in your paper i should like to say that the beautiful mayfly beloved of trout and trout anglers is one of the gulls insect victims i have seen gulls catch them on our own rivers and on some of the irish locks a good rise of mayfly means a grand feast for the gulls the gulls assemble in flocks on some of the big lakes and directly the flies begin to flutter to the surface and dance about down swoop the watchful birds in this way large numbers of mayflies are devoured and the sport of the trout angler suffers in consequence signed a r m i feel inclined to add a pronounced question mark to the last line of a r m s communication for despite lament both gulls and anglers get their fair share of sport especially if the latter be only half as expert as their rivals some woodcock notes when i was a lad the wearing of a number of the axillary feathers of the woodcock in the band of a cap or hat was a sort of sign amongst the shooting fraternity that the wearer had something to be proud of in having shot a bird or birds of this species one feather denoting one woodcock and so on a sportsman nowadays under ordinary circumstances would generally be able to show but a very few indeed yearly this species seems to be visiting us in decreasing numbers the woodcock invariably arrives tired out which is not to be wondered at considering its bulky form and on arriving from across seas 
it alights to rest on the first opportunity that offers a clump of firs a tuft of marrams or a bush offer ample shelter and in very bare places it is astonishing how easily its plumage harmonizes with the surrounding colour on october the fourteenth nineteen o five i was strolling along the new road near Braden when a man in a garden hailed me saying that he had just put up a woodcock and pointed out to me an exposed grassy spot just under a low scrubby bush the grass was pressed down and excreta lay on it the man assured me he had passed and repassed the place several times that day but had not noticed the stranger hidden there and there can be no doubt that the cock had dropped in there before daybreak and had rested itself until the eventide this habit of lying close has been fatal to several birds to my certain knowledge a woodcock which i examined on december the fifteenth nineteen o five weighed twelve ounces and had a remarkably short bill barely measuring two inches in length arrivals were late in the autumn of nineteen o six the first brought to market appeared on november the third one had been previously killed on september the thirtieth the usual mishaps occurred i heard of a woodcock being entangled in the bough of a fir tree a bird in november was seen to fly through one of the streets and make in the direction of the town hall where it was afterwards seized when asleep on one of the upstair window sills four were observed to come in from sea at daybreak on the morning of november the first flying low over the water as if wing weary a woodcock was flushed from a garden flower bed which overlooks Braden on july the second nineteen o five i picked up the remains of a woodcock at the tide mark on april the twentieth nineteen o six in all probability this was a migrant victim overcome by the recent severe easterly gales until the autumn of nineteen o six my heaviest recorded woodcock was fifteen ounces but one taken on board a lightship weighed sixteen ounces dead weight when brought ashore the great crested grebe it is gratifying to know that this charming bird still breeds regularly with us on the norfolk broads and that even those who seem eager from privilege to shoot almost every winged thing as well as the broad folk generally seem proud of its presence there in august nineteen o six i was witness to a very pretty display of fish catching by a female grebe which almost entirely ignored my presence in its domains at a corner of philby broad it is impossible to describe the stately manner of its swimming or convey an idea of its lightning-like plungers into the depths of the broad it seems an intensely living joyous thing whose grace of motion 
is only equalled by its beauty accompanying the grebe were two or three young ones uttering queer peepy cries like so many little ducks they approached the parent one at a time as if in turn to receive the small roach invariably brought to them for food the old bird would lift her head erect stretching her neck to the fullest and spreading her crest as if to inspire and excite her progeny which would flutter up fussily swimming almost flatten themselves on the surface as they came within reach of her and with extreme rapidity snatch the fish that she lowered for their taking the old male joined the party and helped in the fun on the land this species is scarcely so graceful and always makes a very poor hand at progression an example which i kept in september 1901 in an aviary shambled along on its breast and abdomen with far less poetry of motion than a seal but my friend mr j c knights informs me that on one occasion a great crested grebe came ashore apparently slightly wounded he pursued it when it dashed away from him along the beach bolt upright running most nimbly on the tips of its great flat toes some time ago during the period of migration a great crested grebe struck the vein of martham church spire as it flew at night severing its wing this bird mr knight's preserved scoter and shellfish i have before referred to the striking partiality of the common scoter edemia nigra for the radiated trough shell mactra stultorum in my youthful days it was a regular thing for a large contingent of these muscle ducks to put in an appearance in november north of the britannia pier and remain there all winter but of late years great changes have been taking place in the roadstead north of the town and in the coastline as well as south of Galston, in consequence of the continual wearing away of the sand cliffs. The position of certain sandbanks has also been affected by the stronger currents now obtaining inshore. The patch, too, has vanished, and in my opinion, judging by the scoters deserting that part of the coast, alterations have also taken place in the beds of shellfish that used to lie there and i think it more than likely that the bay or bite formed between galston and Corton affords the trough shell and many other marine invertebrates excellent shelter there the scoters do now most delight to congregate sure of a plentiful supply of food and safe from prowling gunners when strolling to Corton on november the fifteenth nineteen o five i counted nearly two hundred scoters diving and floating about a hundred and fifty yards from the shore a flock of them occasionally puts in an appearance in the ham 
the shrimpers complained of taking quantities of the crossfish in their nets in may and june 1906 when fishing off the north of yarmouth and they remarked to me on the disappearance of a considerable bed of horse mussels which existed near the bellboy some little while ago empty valves only are now dredged up the starfishers having they allege attacked them in great numbers and killed them all probably this is another reason for the scoters changing their feeding grounds potchards and poker grass in my conversations with the oldest men about Braden, who can remember great changes having taken place not only with regard to the lessening of certain species but in the formation of the place together with alterations in its salinity and its plant life nearly all of them there are at most half a score only now living have referred to a plant which they called poker grass poker being a local synonym for potchard i have tried hard to identify this plant which locally must have become extinct and have made numerous inquiries respecting it mr robert gurney remarks i cannot help you about the plant it sounds rather like potamogeton pectinatum i think that is what the potchards feed on at horsey and hickling there are masses of it there in the September of 1906, I visited Hickling and Horsey Broads and saw considerable patches of it, but it did not satisfy me as to its being the weed described by the old Bradeners. I therefore wrote to the Eastern Daily Press as follows. Sir, when in conversation with one of the worn-out Bradeners, he greatly aroused my interest by referring to a large bed of what he termed poker grass that grew on the flats in the old days when fresh water obtained there for many days at a stretch and when even on the neap tides at low water two or three feet of water covered portions of braden that to-day are bare at half tide it was a plant after the habit of zostera marina which grew white flowers above and little white knobs below it was for these knobs that the large flocks of potchards used to visit braden where except in the severest winters they may now be looked upon almost as rarities i can find nothing of the kind to-day signed john no little i received the following replies russell square london dear mr patterson i am staying here just at present but i read your letter re poker grass in the daily press with much interest it struck me i might gather some information upon it at the natural history museum at south kensington so to-day i went there and showed your letter to mr b and mr g the latter is the compiler of the new edition of babington they referred to different catalogues 
but could find nothing that corresponded to description. I suggested the plant might be Xanicelia palustris, but that these had not white flowers. But there are found little seed vessels closely packed along the stems, which might look tempting to a potchard. This likes both fresh, saline and salt water. At the same time, I have no doubt it is common about Braden, and would not be likely to have disappeared. Signed, F. L. Norwich. Alton Broad, November 1905. Dear Sir, in response to your request in the daily press, I will roughly give you a little of my experience. You can make what use you like of it. Had you named the man who gave you the information regarding Braden, I should probably have been able to tell you something of his repute fifty years ago, when the lower run, at the North Wall Drain, took one in a gunboat to Rotteney up to half-tide. Fringing the channel was hard mud, getting softer towards the north wall, and a bottomless swamp reached from Rotteney to Duffel's Rond. Between the hard and the soft mud grew what you call widgeon grass, but at that time was dubbed goose grass by gunners, known as Elva to upholsterers, and I think as Zostera to scientists, abounding from the channel to the north bank above Duffel's Rond. Rotten Eye also abounded in what we called cabbage, Ulva lactuca, but the poker grass you describe I do not remember. Potchards are distinctly freshwater feeders, and a grass called poker grass abounds on Hayam Sounds and Hickling Broad. Some thirty years ago, the Reverend Micklethwaite of Hickling sent me a hamper of it, which I planted in my decoy pond at North Cove. But whether it is there now, I know not, but no potchards ever sought it. In 1853, the late Fielding Harmer and myself were on a shooting expedition at Higham, Hickling, and Horsey, and we then discovered that large flocks of potchards spent their day in safety on Ramworth Broad, then a decoy in active operation. At dusk, they came in a sweeping mass straight onto Higham Sounds. We could easily have intercepted them and got two or three as they passed over, but our object was to shoot a pound of shot into the mass the moment they alighted. In this we were unsuccessful, although we stuck to them for a week. So we determined the next year to visit the sounds in November and give every night to them until we accomplished our object but we were baffled. We found the exact spot where many of them alighted, but on touching the water, they went down like stones after their favourite grass, and came to the surface in detail, and straggled out, rendering a big shot impossible. We then discovered, by careful watching, that they collected in the morning, 
sometimes as early as 3 a.m., and took their departure. So we spent night after night in trying to accomplish our object, only to discover that at a given signal they arose from straggling positions, took a sweep round until they got together, and then made off. Baffled in this, we sailed down to Braden to find out what we could of the habits of the fowl thereon during the night, and lay moored in the old hornet for some three weeks at Lamb's Rond. This sounds funny now, but at that time you could sail right across Braden at half-tide above the cross-stake, and getting over a ridge near the channel found deeper water and you could mostly reach the channel by Bessie's drain, which was stopped by the old hulk Agnes, but always by Duffel's drain, which at that time was, at extreme low water, only two or three hundred yards long, when it opened into deep water. I note it now reaches from Dan Bannum's mill to stake fourteen, nearly a mile, and is deep and wide even at low water. During our visit we learned much of the habits of widgeon and mallard, also something of the waders and herons, but never a potchard ever came in to feed, although straggling parcels dropped in from time to time for prospecting. Therefore, I fancy you will find that poker grass never existed on Braden, certainly not at Rotten Eye, and if at all, at the back of the dicky works would be the most likely, as fresh water prevails there more than anywhere on Braden, whereas Rotten Eye is, or rather was, the spot for salt water, straight up the lower run and wall drain. I went on a gunning expedition one winter with the late fielding harmer, and another with the late F. Palmer, and my experience as to potchards and poker grass, also widgeon grass, was practically the same as on Braden or the Scottish Firths. There the widgeon feed on the banks, where a foot or more of mud over the hard sand and rocks is conducive to its growth, pulling up vast quantities at low water, which floated and was fed on by hordes of Brent geese, which came in from sea every morning after sunrise, and departed before dark, after which they never showed up, except when violent storms were near to hand, or had passed, or hard frosts had upset their daily habits, but widgeon feed night or day at the time. I am informed that dotterel have become exceedingly scarce, in consequence of certain of their feathers being in great demand for fly-fishing. This September, in the centre of Norway, on the top of a flattish mountain about 3,000 feet high, where there was only short moss and occasional bogs, I find a few had been breeding, also golden plovers. This rather surpassed me. Signed, W.S.E. Duck Shooting Notes Some years ago, I had the good fortune to visit a rather eccentric individual at Haddiscoe. 
in whose grounds a small artificial lake had been constructed and planted round with a strikingly varied plantation of carniferae, including some of the rarest of the firs. If I remember rightly, the lake was not much more than half an acre in extent, but the quietude of the spot and its proximity to a fairly good duck country made this snug retreat very attractive at times to small flocks of ducks. I subsequently received a note from Mr. P., since deceased, which I think of sufficient interest to reproduce here, and I am strongly of opinion that many gentlemen of means who have the same conveniences might harbour on their estates these desirable fowl, while a judicious taming and pinioning of mallard or decoy ducks would add to these attractions. Mr. P. wrote, Dear Sir, I have an account of numbers of ducks shot each year, going back ten or eleven years. This year, 1897, I have not fired at a wild duck, and last year only shot two. My shooting record was carried out under strict sportsman's rules, that is, birds shot at singly on the wing, no shot allowed at a number sitting together on the water, only sitting shots allowed when fowl darted down, and it would be next to impossible to get them on the wing, and I always studied not to remain too late, but to pick up birds and get away before being quite dark, so that some fowl might settle down quietly after leaving, as shooting late there is danger in breaking their hold and frightening all fowl away, and thus lose the lead. Moreover, as a rule, I never began to shoot until fowl had got a good hold and when fowl came well. I could seldom shoot more than five nights in a fortnight. My account, showing each sportsman by year, as follows. 1883. A.P. 40 shots flying, 19 ducks. E.P. 4 shots flying, 2 ducks. Both, sitting, 12 ducks. Total, 33 ducks. 1884. AP, 81 shots flying, 37 ducks. EP, 31 shots flying, 11 ducks. Both, sitting, 29 ducks. Total, 77 ducks. 1885. AP, 64 shots flying, 33 ducks. EP, six shots flying, no ducks. Long, six shots flying, four ducks. All three, sitting, 14 ducks. Total, 51 ducks. 1886. AP, 19 shots flying, 10 ducks. EP, three shots flying, one duck. Sire, two shots flying, one duck. All three sitting, six ducks. Total, 
eighteen ducks. Eighteen eighty seven AP fifty eight shots flying, twenty eight ducks. Sayer fifty shots flying, twenty six ducks. Long forty one shots flying, twenty four ducks. EP six shots flying, one duck. All four sitting, seventeen ducks. Total ninety six ducks. The year 1887 was by far the best year, the next being... Arthur Patterson notes, Unfortunately, the remaining portion of the letter is missing. In December 1899, I received a short note from Mr. P, who complained that only a very few wild ducks came to my pond the last two years. 1893 to February 1894, 33 were shot. 1895, 1896 to February 1897, only 11 or 12, and not any after this time. Some were seen about a week ago flying close over the water, but they did not come down. Signed, yours truly. AJP End of section twenty three